How many vaginas have you seen in your life? (laughs) You know what? Uh, That's a great question. Thousands. Welcome to the Infertile Mafia. That's Sarah. And that's Kayla. And today, this is part two of our interview with Dr. Laura Shaheen. Woo-woo. To give you a little bit of a refresher, Dr. Shaheen is a board-certified reproductive endocrinologist currently practicing at North <laughs> Pacific Northwest <laughs> Fertility and IVS Specialist. Oh, man. In Seattle, Washington. Nailed she it. also found Yeah, I did. She also is the director of the Center for Reoccurrent Pregnancy Lost at PNWF. She is a regular contributor to the Huffington Post and other blogs and has authored two books. In 2015, she co-authored Planting the Seeds of Pregnancy, an integrative approach to fertility care. And in 2017, Dr. Shaheen published Not Broken an approachable guide to miscarriage and re- recurrent pregnancy loss. And she also has a killer social media game, like her Instagram posts of her pineapple suit, <laughs> which we love. We do. So here we go with the second half of our interview, which is probably a bit spicier <laughs> than the first half. You, you heard me cry in the first half. Now you're going to hear me. Yeah, I <laughs> I meant to tell you you have some mascara under your eyes. Oh, do I? Yeah. I, I didn't know how to do it. I don't even care. Like, okay. I've got the mascara. She actually cried. I can't believe it. Well, she, I cried because she was so awesome. That's so sweet. She was so touching. She was just like a big, like, I think I said it, like a big hug. Ugh. I hope I hope you guys felt the same way. I'm sure you did. So yeah, you're probably crying too. Right. You're crying with me. Sarah's just <laughs> crying on the inside. <laughs> yeah, I don't cry unless it's I'm an all or nothing crier. So once you get me started, the whole day Watch is ruined. <laughs> yeah. So here is part two of our interview with Dr. Shaheen. Uh, the most common reason uh, cited for miscarriage is chromosomal ab... Wow. <laughs> Let me start that over. The most common reason for miscarriage is cited as chromosomal ab... Abnormalities. <laughs> Abnormal... <laughs> Whatever. You know what I'm trying it's to say. Early. It's early. It's okay. So... <laughs> It's kind of early for us. Uh, So what advice do you give to women who have had a miscarriage or even more than one with PGS, PGD tested embryos? Absolutely. So um, I think what what you're asking is, you know, the most common cause of first trimester miscarriage, if you test the tissue, is a chromosome imbalance, um, an extra chromosome or missing one. And so... When someone has recurrent miscarriage and you really are assuming that it's because they keep miscarrying chromosomally abnormal embryos, the options are to keep trying because each pregnancy is a new opportunity and the very next pregnancy could be perfect. 
Um, or you can use IVF as an embryo selection tool. So you can um, you know, test embryos for chromosomal abnormalities before somebody actually gets pregnant. It just happens to require IVF, and it's a lot more complicated than trying naturally. And um, that is actually the most common conversation and counseling that I have with my patients. Um, they come in, uh, we go through their history, we talk about doing testing and evaluation, and then they come back for a return visit. And um, I know the studies say 50% of the time you don't find an answer, but it's more than that. I mean, it's, it's a lot of people do not have a uterine cavity issue or a hormonal issue or something that I can actively treat. Um, and fortunately, a lot of the providers in the Seattle area are testing pregnancy losses. So a lot of patients come to me knowing that they've had chromosomal um, abnormal miscarriages. Um, but even then, it's still a discussion. You know, your option is to try again or to do IVF. And um, each patient decides um, differently. Uh, it's just, it, it, there's, it, you know, it's not a, a protocol or sort of like everybody has to do IVF. It's really a discussion. Um, but if somebody chooses to do IVF and we transfer a tested embryo, there is still a chance of miscarriage. Um, and it's about 10%. It's, um, so when, one of the ways people are deciding how, whether they should do IVF or not is that we kind of go through, okay, what's your chances of miscarriage if you were to try again naturally? Let's think about your age. Let's think about how many miscarriages you've had. And let's um, kind of talk through things. So if someone's 40 years old and they've had more than one miscarriage in their subsequent pregnancy, it's at least a 50% could be more, 50-60% chance of miscarriage. Um, and if they did do IVF and transfer a tested embryo, their miscarriage rate is 10%. So that's a big wow. difference, but yeah. it's not zero. So your question right. was, you know, what do you do for people that you know, have done this and they're still miscarrying? And those are um, heartbreaking cases, but I still believe that they can do it. And we talked through options. Um, and, you know, sometimes we talk about surrogacy. I think in general, in the field, people jump to that really quickly. I think it, it is very rare for me to actually truly recommend um, people getting carriers because I just really believe and have seen in my practice that most people can carry a baby. It really is usually an embryo issue. Unless they, unless there's like an an absolute reason why they would need a carrier. Of course, of course. Right. Yeah. 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 That has to be one of the most heartbreaking. Like we've said it many times that uh, unexplained infertility is to me like one of the most frustrating diagnoses, especially after you go through all the testing and you you're there because you're desperate and you want answers, then you don't get them. But on top of that, like having recurrent pregnancy loss for which there's no answer is you know, one of the most heartbreaking parts of infertility yes. treatments, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually um, see it as a very hopeful situation. And I try to talk to people about, think about all the hurdles that you are getting over to get to that point. I mean, yeah. egg and sperm like each other. Fertilization is happening. Implantation is happening. Like your body is accepting this embryo. And most likely that embryo just is missing a big 
you know, part of the genetic code and it's just not going to continue. And a different way to look at it is your body is actually working. You know, it's, you know, most of the time people roll their eyes and like, oh, Dr. Sheen, you're crazy. But, you know, if um, most people who are having recurrent miscarriages go on to have their babies, that's what the studies show. The frustrating part is you don't know if it's going to be in your next pregnancy or if it's going to be five years from now because that's when the studies stop following. But most people will go on to have a baby as long as they are conceiving. And that's why IVF is very um, appealing because it's so much more efficient than having miscarriage after miscarriage. And um, I just wish that I could guarantee that it worked 100% of the time. Um, And... Uh, and, and it's really just a, a, an open, honest discussion with each each patient and each couple that's coming in. Sounds very individualized. Yeah, it really that, is. That's all. <laughs> it really is. Um, so, you know, in a young couple that conceives very easily, it's really hard to say, oh, you should definitely do IVF, no question, 100%. It just takes a couple of patients that follow that guideline and then still have a miscarriage and you sort of say, wait, what am I doing here? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So if someone's young, most of their eggs are not going to have chromosomal issues and they really could consider, you know, trying again. Um, if a couple is in their, starting their family in their 40s and they've had a couple of miscarriages, they should absolutely do IVF. When you're 40, 80, mm-hmm. 90% of the embryos that you create together are going to be abnormal. And when you're 40 and you have a miscarriage, there goes six months, right? Can you tell which side it comes from, like the egg or the sperm? Um, you can when you test uh, it in certain labs when you test the chromosomes. Not every wow. lab, but you can, yep. And um, certain labs will say if it's an extra chromosome from the egg or an extra chromosome from the sperm. But studies who have looked at it, it it's 97% an egg issue. So, I mean, of course there's abnormal sperm. I know. Yeah. I know. You're, you're hoping like maybe it's my husband. It still can be. And I know that's 97. Not that you'd hope that, but yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Fingers crossed. It's him. (laughs) Oh, I know. Maybe this issue won't be me. Right. Is what a lot of us are thinking. And it usually is us. (laughs) No, it's the egg. It's not you. It's just, and right. there's more eggs where that came from. It's not you. Yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. I, there's yeah. some good ones in there. There has Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and the whole bias in, you know, human reproduction, everything has is the woman's fault. I mean, that comes from centuries and centuries of just not understanding. And we're finally starting to wake up to how important the male contribution to genetics and miscarriage and you know age impacts men too Um, we just don't have the research to show it yet but we're starting to it's just been female focused because that's our bias right yeah we have we've mentioned that like we have a segment sometimes called drunk fertility and it's always (laughs) has something to do i want to be it's usually because i'm drinking yes okay (laughs) you probably have some really good stories for drunk fertility (laughs) because most of the stories are about like we I try to go back and find like these kind of random weird stories about how people were treated with infertility in you know in the past and it's always like the woman's fault or and you know there's no 
even thought about the man or his responsibility in this and absolutely it's just crazy the way some women were treated um especially through like the middle ages it was rough absolutely so you know burn them at the stake if they can't give you a kid and it's like i mean just insane right think or a boy <laughs> henry the eighth all those wives that died because they didn't give him a son where we just found out less than 100 years ago sperm tells us whether it's going to be a boy or a girl right that was your fault henry <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> All right. So this one, I really am interested in your in your answer here. And it was actually one of the most common questions we received from people. And okay. that was about the link between recurrent pregnancy loss and um, reproductive immunology. Yes. Um, I'm curious about your professional opinion on that and its efficacy. I, as someone who personally did um, saw an RI and did immune therapy, I am a little bit biased, but I'm having said that I'm totally open to your opinion on the matter. Yes. And, um, guess what? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I am very humble. Um, and, um, I, I, but, and it's very controversial and it's very touchy. Um, right. Because women want an answer Women are very quick to blame themselves and their body when they're really ready to start their family. And they're imagining that this embryo is perfect and it must be their body or something they're doing wrong to reject this perfect embryo. And um, there is a lot of fertility treatment and books and doctors that play into that. And women come to them wanting an answer And you can say, oh, well, it might be your immune system. Let me give you this treatment. And it, it, it may help, um, but there can be harm that comes from it. And I really do believe that when people are successful, when they're doing some of those fertility treatments, um, I think it's just because they had the resilience to keep trying and and they finally found a perfect embryo. Mm. That is my humble opinion. Um, I do believe that there have got to be people out there where these treatments help, right? I'm not saying that uh, that they don't work. I just think most people don't need them. I don't even like the word immunosuppression when you come to it. The immune system is incredibly important, and you have to have a functioning immune system to have implantation. It has to change. The immune system has to become more receptive, it needs to have more Th2 dominant, you know, immune cells. And guess what does that? Progesterone. Progesterone mm-hmm. shifts our immune system to a more receptive state. And our bodies have been doing that for thousands and thousands of years. Um, so I think it's, it's okay to support women's bodies with extra progesterone. I think I give it out like candy and that most people <laughs> probably don't need it. Um, but Oh, I but we giving... love stabbing ourselves in the ass. <laughs> That's great. Um, but I, um, but you cannot, you can take it other ways. You don't have to do it that way. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh, you but... mean the chunking out of the veg? Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> God, I love it. Um, but I think, uh, I think, uh, some of these treatments like really high dose steroids or some of the um, intra 
uh, venous interlipids and um, IVIG. Some of those things are like taking a nuclear bomb to your immune system. And, um, and they really have real side effects. And I think, um, I actually think I'm kind of excited about some of the research that's coming out about the um, microbiome and how important that is. And sort of, it might sort of show, hey, look what you're doing to these women's you know, immune systems and bodies and microbiome when you're giving these like broad spectrum antibiotics and you're giving them, you know, high doses of, of steroids. So I don't have all the answers, but I, um, I really do think most women can do it without it. And, um, and I just think it's really important to be very thoughtful and have a really open conversation with that provider that's providing, you know, prescribing these medications and saying, you know, what are the side effects for this? Like high dose steroids can give gestational diabetes and intrauterine growth restriction and, and babies. And you just got to be careful. And just to, um, you know, cause there are going to be a lot of women that listen to this that are considering it or have done it. And so I just want to, to speak to, you know, both sides and that, um, you know, um, I, I can put myself in that position and, and think to myself, gosh, I just want anything. I'll just do anything to kind of make it work. And I, um, you know, I have been a fertility patient and, you know, had those thoughts of like, I'll just do anything like transfer, you know, five embryos. I don't care. I just want to, you know, have a baby. Um, and so, um, you know, I do have patients that sometimes will see me and will see a reproductive of immunologists at the same time. And I'll have very straight conversations with them and just say, Hey, listen, I'm not going to prescribe these things for you. Um, I, this is why this is what I think. Um, but please be open with me and just realize that I think you can do it without it. Um, but I'm not going to judge you and, um, like, let's talk about it and let's just think through things and talk about consequences. That's fair. I have a question. What is a (laughs) microbiome? Oh, sure. Um, like this, um, like kind of like gut health and that our, um, a lot of our health has to do with the flora that's in our gut and what we're absorbing and not absorbing. There's a little bit of evidence and looking into, um, maybe the flora in our, um, reproductive system is impacting fertility and miscarriages and it's Mm. new. Um, but I'm just kind of like, okay, well maybe this is a different way of looking at reproductive immunology. Um, yeah, you know, I, there's a commercial that says it a bunch. So I was like, "What is this?" <laughs> yeah. I think it's a Dove commercial, though. Oh, I could be wrong, though. Interesting. <laughs> so we'll fi- finish up this segment with um, just talking about you. You touched on this a little bit. So um, unexplained infertility. We mm-hmm. it's so common. Um, well, I. I'm speaking anecdotally, like I see it a lot in our Facebook group, especially of women like, I don't know, they don't know why this is happening to me. And I, like I was saying earlier, I think it's like one of the most frustrating diagnoses um, after you yeah. work up the courage to go see the doctor and you pay all this money and then they're like, I don't know. Um, yeah. So what advice would you give to someone who has had the diagnosis of infer- of unexplained infertility and then you know maybe what are next steps for someone like that sure um and i i just also want to reflect on the fact of how basic our testing is yeah right like our testing is basically saying are there eggs are there sperm 
Um, and is the anatomy okay? Like, are the fallopian tubes open, you know? And um, so it's, it's actually uncommon to find somebody with black fallopian tubes, although I know that it does happen. <laughs> Sarah. They could see them um, on an ultrasound. That's how blocked they oh, were. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Super happy. Um, yeah. And if someone gets that diagnosis, um, I think that they can you know, walk away and sort of say, okay, I've gotten a great checkup and I'm just going to keep trying naturally because there's nothing obviously wrong. Or they could consider doing fertility treatment, you know, low-tech treatment like IUIs or controlling for a certain amount of variables. And it might help with timing or kind of getting the best sperm where it needs to go. Um, and then if that's not successful, then, you know, like the, the third most common reason people do IVF is because of unexplained infertility. And it could just be that, you know, all the stars haven't aligned, you know, you haven't had that perfect egg and that perfect sperm. Um, and, you know, it could be that there's something different happening each month, right? Like one month, it was a perfect egg. And the next month, the one sperm that got in was kind of a dead. And the IVF just, it doesn't fix everything, but it just controls for the most variables that we can And you're kind of being more efficient in the baby making process. Would you say that unexplained is usually caused by something? Like if all of the parts are working perfectly, there's always some point statistically shouldn't there be a pregnancy? Yeah, I think I, I don't know. The longer I do this, the more humble I get. Um, And that, uh, you know, I, with that question, I think about all those people that, conceive their first child with IVF and then they're like, well, there's no way I can get pregnant naturally. And they get pregnant while they're nursing. Yeah. I've seen, I mean, yeah, (laughs) I, I know people don't like to hear this sometimes. It depends on your situation. I've seen people, a lot of people actually get pregnant after being pregnant through fertility treatments, even adopting embryos. Mm -hmm. Like they got to the point of adopting embryos and then they're like, oh, I got pregnant naturally out of nowhere. So like, is it sometimes your body gets kickstarted with pregnancy? It seems. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just weird hearing that, but yeah, I think, um, I just think that there's always a chance just how many people come up to me at cocktail party and they say, Oh, you're a fertility doctor. My doctor told me I'd never get pregnant because of my, you know, stage four endometriosis or my husband had such poor sperm. And then, you know, a year later we got pregnant. That doctor was wrong. People love telling me those stories, you know? Are you like, great. Yeah. (laughs) You're like, I mean, like, good for you, but thanks for telling me your doctor's wrong. (laughs) Well, I think, um, I think it, it makes me humble and just sort of say, as long as there's eggs, as long as there's sperm, there's, there's always a way, but the hard part is Jurassic Park. people who are, yeah, finds a way, um, finds a way. Um, but the hard part are for the people that are listening to this podcast and they haven't had their family yet. And they're like, well, that's nice for those other people. But what about right. me? You know, and that's such a isolating and frustrating place to be. So um, I hope that people who are in that situation that are hearing us talk right now are um, thinking, uh, hopefully taking it away as um, like there's always a chance, but that doesn't mean that you can't be an advocate for yourself and, and get testing and sort of think through your options. And um, But hopefully staying hopeful will, will be a positive thing. Yeah, I was going to say there's probably half the people listening that 
this this is the camp I would have been in totally rolling your eyes at that Mm -hmm. whole like oh I got Mm -hmm. pregnant after IVF or when I went to adopt an embryo or something and then there are other people that do find that very uplifting and encouraging so Mm -hmm. whatever camp you're in it's cool we get it (laughs) I like that all right so before we switch gears I I just have one more burning question (laughs) I just thought of this okay so everyone that listens knows I'm like obsessed with the jerk off room stories. I just love them. They're hilarious. <laughs> we can totally cut this if you don't want to answer this question. So I'm just curious, maybe this is a better question for the andrologist or andrology lab, but so many people have awful stories about their husband or partner giving a sperm sample. I'm curious why they, the, the clinics aren't like more accommodating to people um well i will say that um we built our uh clinic with the guys in mind so amazing i know so at pacific northwest fertility we have a separate waiting room and a separate um check-in area um and then when they go to the collection room there's um, this little um, turnstile, like this little silver thing that if you've ever given like a urine sample and then you turn it. So the oh. sample just goes like Fancy. straight into the andrology lab. Oh, you don't so have to talk guys, to anyone. You don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have to carry this little sample like through the lobby. Um, so um, I think that you can design something to make it less um, awkward. Awkward. You know, that's nice, but I don't really feel that bad for them. <laughs> Sorry, I, I do. Laugh so hard. <laughs> I just like, I know, I know, I know. The like, women are like, oh my God, look to at do. Yeah. yeah. That's all you have to do. But I will say, there are some guys that really have a difficult time yes. with it. And then there are times where people do have an egg retrieval and the partner can't collect. Right. So I try to, um, and that is super stressful. And so I try to talk to people about that beforehand. Like, Hey, you know, you could freeze a sample beforehand. We did that. Just to have as backup. We did that too. So that, um, you aren't going to run into this situation where, um, you don't have sperm when you need it. Right. I know it's a, it's a society thing. Like guys are awkward about that maybe we need to talk to like the the, our sons and stuff and be like you're okay oh yeah (laughs) these are natural bodily functions (laughs) right (laughs) no it's you're not gonna grow hair on your palms (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i don't really feel that sorry for them since we are the ones that like have to have our eggs removed I, I feel sorry for it. I feel a little bit, I just, some of the story, like some clinics don't even have a room for them. They're like in the public bathroom trying to do this. Like, oh, wow. That's weird. That like seems, that seems extreme. I'm sure illegal. most places are not like that, but it, I just, aren't you supposed to not jack off in public spaces? <laughs> Am I going to get arrested for doing IVF? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's weird. Like have a separate place for them, but like. I don't feel sorry for it. I had to go in the first time with my husband. They're like, go on back. And I was like, do I have to do everything? <laughs> I guess I have to do everything. Oh, my gosh. Oh, man. I will say that um, sometimes the, the guys really 
don't want to, but they feel totally left out of the whole process. Yeah. And they want to participate more. And um, especially doing an evaluation for a recurrent miscarriage, the guys are like, what, that's it? Like, don't you have anything else? Like, look at all these tubes of blood you're taking from my, uh, my partner. Like what, you know, can't you you know, what do I have to do? I'll do anything, you know, right. cause they see Aww. the person going through losses and, you know, this disappointment and, you know, poor, I do so many guys have such a hard time with infertility and miscarriage because they want a problem they can fix. It's just a right. very masculine way. Not everybody's like that, of course, but you know, it's like, okay, if you, as long as you just tell me what to do and what steps I have to take to get there, like, let, let's just do it. Let's get this over with. Cause this sucks so much. So, and it's so, it's that's such a, very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's so helpless. I like that. <laughs> yeah, it is you just, well, they're just standing there while you're crying and they're yep. like, they're yep. there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what to do here. Yes. Give yeah. me something to do. No, I appreciate when they're like that. I just don't feel sorry for them yeah, having got it. to totally. do that. <laughs> yeah, we got and it. <laughs> yes, we appreciate the partners trying to do something. I mean, my husband gave me shots. Yeah, there you he go. always gave me the shots, and he was a little offended when I wanted to do shots on my own. Aww. So I just let him do the shots. That's awesome. <laughs> Maybe he liked stabbing me. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> that too. Um, so. Switching gears, I want to talk. I want to hear about you. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? I know you conceived your own children via IVF. Um, yeah, maybe I, talk to um, us about that a little bit. Sure, and I, I think my own struggles with fertility kind of did um, change me and kind of make me a more empathetic person. And um, I don't think you have to go through IVF or fertility struggles to be a good provider or to be an advocate or. Or care, um, but I, I definitely think that it um, it it changed me. Um, I I did um, struggle to have my daughter. Um, I took out my IUD and wasn't getting a period, and so of course I thought I ruined my uterus. Right? Oh. So right, like we do that. I'm yeah. like I've read all the studies, and I know that you know fertility is not impacted by IUD. But when you're the person who's going through it even though you're the doctor, you still have all those irrational thoughts. So whenever a patient asks me questions, I'm like, yeah, there's no silly question. Like, ask away. That's what I'm here for. I have um, a question. Yeah. Did you remove it yourself? No. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> I did not. I do know people that have done that. I'm very impressed with yeah, that. Yeah, I, I have. I've, I've heard of it. They're like, I don't want to spend $200. That's awesome. Or whatever. Well, you just reach up there and yank it out. Yes, I know that people can do that. I know. Yikes. I know. I know. So it turned out I had, um, I had, you know, I was like, well, I'm just going to treat myself. I'll just give myself some Clomid, but maybe I shouldn't prescribe it for myself, right? And my, <laughs> my chief resident at the time was like, get, get your labs checked. Like, come on, get your labs checked. So it turns out I have a um, prolactin issue, um, like a oh. little, and it's kind of funny to be a doctor that, you know, treats, um, um, prolactin issues. And then I have one, but then I just took the medication and, um, conceived my daughter. And then my real struggles really started with, um, baby number two. And so I see this a lot in my patients too. You know, it's like, okay, you know, I've got this. I know how to have a baby. I, you know, the first one was easy or they found a fertility issue, treated it. Um, and then really struggling for baby number two is just a whole different level. 
of frustration. Um, and so tried IUI and was successful with, with IVF and just very, very thankful that I was successful. But, um, you know, when my patients call me in the middle of the night, um, struggling with, you know, did I do my trigger shot right? I have been there. (laughs) And, uh, and you have two, do you have two daughters? Is that right? I have my, uh, daughter daughter and a son. son. Mm -hmm. Oh, was everyone like, now you have one of you. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I have a blog post on reproduction is not small talk. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, it started at my daughter's first birthday party. So when are you having another? No. Oh my God. Never like, really? ends. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it seems like, I don't know if you guys get the same comments every time you meet a new person about your kids. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. But I mostly get all the typical twin, oh, twin. questions. Yeah. Are they identical? No. So you do have... Look at them. Uh, do you they? have twins? I do. That's awesome. So they both implanted. They did. Amazing. But, Aww. you know, I... Like, you remember I said earlier, like, I'm a, I'm a skeptic about everything. And um, I and I also was, like, never one of those women that was afraid of having twins. I, that might be totally naive. But I wasn't... I, I wasn't afraid of... of what happened after birth, <laughs> you know, like yeah. just the concept of twins. Um, so that didn't, it's the pregnancy that's, that didn't me. intimidate me. Um, I don't think I made that decision like out of desperation either. Having said that, I totally understand the risk. And I just think like the science is getting so much better that your yeah. odds are getting better of having success with one. Yeah. And you I know, think, you know, you, and this has drastically changed in the last year or two. Yeah. Right. So especially with the chromosomal screening and just the success rates just keep getting better and better. So when you guys were doing your transfers and you were transferring to, that really was the standard. Like yeah. it really has changed a lot. Yeah. We've, we even said that because, um, yeah. when Sarah and I were, do, were doing it, the, like the, yeah, the chromosomal testing was not the norm. It was like this add-on that only mm-hmm. people with an extra $5,000 did. Mm-hmm. Whereas now... Well, I would have done it, but I only had one blastocyst and then one morula to freeze. Right. And those were both babies. I love that story. Like, wow. Yeah. And they both they both worked out. That's and awesome. Yeah. But yeah. all that so, to say, had we yeah. done embryonic testing and new... I mean, I did two transfers before the twins that were unsuccessful. So, you know, I might have saved me some heartache there. Who knows? <laughs> it's like uh, it wasn't the standard when we did it, but it certainly is now. And I'm glad that we have that option for well, people, you know. Body wise, you seem like someone who would be good at carrying twins. Because <laughs> I'm tall. <laughs> because you're yeah, tall. That's great. There's more room. I mean, maybe, but I don't know that that should really factor into the equation. I mean, I don't know anything about your cervix and stuff, but... <laughs> I had no cervical issues, but... <laughs> anyway, okay. Okay, so I, my question is, it seems like a lot of doctors who do IVF did IVF themselves. Do you think that's just a coincidence, or...? Yeah, I I, I I do find that people are being more open about it in general and that a lot of uh, the, the doctors who are fertility doctors on you know, social media will often sort of open up a little bit more about it. I think um, part of it is um, 
it could be, you know, infertility is higher in female physicians than the regular population. Um, the study kind of just came out about that. And part of it is just the way our careers are laid out that are, we are, it's not easy to have kids when we are our most fertile. Mm. Um, and so um, part of it is that there is more infertility in physicians. And then it, part of it might also be access to care. Um, that makes sense. Um, it's, well, my, my doctor was a guy and he did it. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. wow. And he said, I think that embryo was my son. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, also just the comfort level, too. Um, there's When you aren't familiar with IVF, there's so many unknowns and you feel like it's sci-fi or that you have to have twins if you do IVF or, you know, you worry about um, just all the things that you read on the internet and that people who are in IVF and doing it day to day, they feel very comfortable with the process. So it it might be quicker to go to IVF for IVF doctors, maybe Hmm. just a guess. Yeah. And plus the access to care too, because a lot of us don't have insurance that covers mm-hmm. IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I don't know how it is in your part of the United States. Maybe you guys have more access to it, but definitely in the Midwest, a lot of us do not have insurance. So yeah. and that also, makes it m- much harder. Yeah. And I, and also just access to care. Like literally you can get your ultrasound at work. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to. I had to travel an hour and a half oh, to go to wow. the doctor. Yes, that's huge. So, Sarah, you want to switch and do the lightning round out of the box? Yeah. Let's sing the song. <laughs> Doctor Sheen, oh. do you know the song? Out. No, oh. I'm. In, I am gonna hum along and be there in spirit. <laughs> okay. Out of the box. Out of the out box. Out of the box. Out it's always a of mess. The box. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> this is. The lightning round. Okay, when you were thinking of becoming a doctor, I'm guessing you didn't know about how you'd be in the public eye with all the news interviews and podcasts and whatnot. Do you enjoy talking to the general public about infertility and recurrent pregnancy loss? I do. I think I have a positive message to share, and I hope that people are hearing it. Follow-up question. Would you ever do a reality (laughs) show? Gosh, um, I would have to research it really carefully because my personal understanding on reality shows is that they're really not reality. They're a hot mess. They are so staged, so um, doubtful because I highly doubt that it would be true reality. Yeah, yeah, probably wouldn't. (laughs) Sounds cool, though. Yeah, we'd enjoy watching you. Okay, cool. Yes. Okay, so your Instagram, you you do you do a really good job at Instagram. Do you have someone helping oh. you with it, or is it no? All you? It is all me. Wow, it's so fun. Where do you find the time to do that? Yeah, I just my goal is to post about once a day, and um, to me, it's really fun. And I just kind of have a thought, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do it, and I don't uh, I don't think about it too much and um I think it's you know it's it's like my writing it's um the more you do it the easier it is to do uh and um it's such a great creative outlet for me I just really enjoy it so besides being a doctor you like to be creative I kind of do (laughs) I really do how many vaginas have you seen in your life (laughs) you know what 
Just a uh, rough that's average. A great question. Thousands. But you know, it it's so funny. Like sometimes people are like, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I forgot to shave my legs today or whatever. And I'm like, I do do not notice that at all. Like I am thinking about your cycle and the follicles that we're measuring. And so um, there, you know, I, I mean, as a patient, I worry about that stuff too, but I will tell you from the doctor's perspective, it, we're just not thinking about that. We just do not care. Uh, we, we did an interview two days ago and she said that the ultrasound, uh, person was like, oh, that's disgusting. When well, she was bleeding, she was bleeding. And he, he, <gasps> he said, oh, that's disgusting to her. Oh, not cool. Not no. professional. What an asshole. Um, wow. <laughs> it made Sarah real mad. It made me mad, and yeah. I've been stewing on it for days. Yeah. Oh, so patients do apologize for that. Sometimes they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry, you know, because yeah. we often see people at suppression checks, and they're bleeding. I'm like, oh, my gosh, don't worry about it. That's what we expect. That's a good sign. That means you're ready to start. And we're just like, it's all good. That's why Move we on. wear face masks. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I feel like everyone just collectively listening was like, thank you for saying that. I just show up. I'm like, I don't care. You get what you get. Same for Peter. That is great. (laughs) I treat you just like I treat my husband. Yeah. Like, do you have a problem (laughs) with it? (laughs) I don't care. Okay. Are anesthesiologists the weirdos of the medicine world? Because they seem like it a little bit. Um. So I know, um, and I, I have a great story about that because one of my mentors in med school was an anesthesiologist and he was one of the most personable, outgoing, extroverted, super fun person. And I was like, why are you doing anesthesiology? Your patients are asleep the whole time. And he really <laughs> handed it back to me and he said, you know what? I see people at their most vulnerable and if I can make them comfortable before they completely surrender themselves to a medical procedure, um, I feel great at the end of the day. Oh, that's... And I was a- like, boom. Yes, you are right. That is awesome. I meant that's weirdos as in, like, eccentric. <laughs> because all the oh. anesthesiologists I've come in contact with have been really cool and, like... Yeah. Oh. Like, weird. Yeah, like, like work out neat outside of work and like out there yeah, like maybe. i had one beatboxing at one point and wow they, i wanted to meet that in it was during my c-section yeah super. and he cool. took pictures that were great people were like did you hire a birth <laughs> photographer I'm like no it was the anesthesiologist oh that's great <laughs> that's awesome but okay dogs or cats Ooh, well both i've always had cats but i want a dog you, have you oh. ever had a dog? No, we're working on what? it. We're trying to decide which which kind. It's a nerve wracking decision. I'd go hypoallergenic. Need it, but yes. <laughs> good, you know, good advice. Adopting a dog, like it seems like they have less health issues. Cool. But okay, favorite group game, like catchphrase, Cards Against Humanity, Monopoly. Oh, truth or dare. A favorite. Truth or dare. <laughs> Oh, good one. She's a wild one. Uh, something you do in your off time that people don't expect. Uh, well, skiing. I do post about it, but I only learned, you know, like three years ago in my 40s. And I'm still so excited about the fact that I've tried something new in my later life. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I saw that picture you put on Instagram. I was like, look at this badass doctor <laughs> up on this mountain. She's just, look, I mean, it's a great picture of you, yeah, by the so way. Do you, do you water shot. ski? Um, no, I have, I have done that once, and that did not end well. Um, no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the shot that you get, you know, that's a still shot. You're not actually seeing me go down the mountain. That might not look so pretty. <laughs> Okay. Your secret's safe with me and the mafia. Awesome. Yeah, we won't tell anyone. What's your favorite Monty Python movie? Oh, Holy Grail. Hands down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That one was from my husband, Peter. I love it. <laughs> He's a nerd. Uh, where do you? Where did you get your pineapple onesie? Oh, Amazon. Hello, I'm in Seattle. Nice. Plug for Amazon. Okay. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, Kayla, do you want to ask... The, uh, yes, this is the one, one I like to ask every guest, and you don't have to answer it because it's pretty vulgar. Okay, would you rather have a vagina on your head mm. or penises down your back? Wow, um, <laughs> I'm gonna go both. <gasps> both, both. We haven't had anyone say both. I think I just peaked <laughs> my mic. <laughs> Sorry about that. So I thought I would just go bold. You know. There, it's either one is problematic. So <laughs> well you might as well. I've never. <laughs> all right. <laughs> that was all the questions. Can you tell us, Doctor Shaheen, where we can find you and your books and all the things? Oh sure. Yeah. I um. So I have a website. It's drlaurashaheen.com. Um. That has my books on it, my blog posts, and a bunch of interviews that I've done. Can't wait to post this there. Um, and then um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are all Dr. Laura Shaheen. Okay, great. Do you so, prefer to be yeah. called Laura? Like Dr. Laura? <laughs> Dr. Oh, Laura. Dr. Laura. No, I'm burned from the Dr. Laura that was around when I was young. Do you remember that? I love uh -huh. Dr. Laura. Um, yeah, yeah. So everyone thinks of her when they say that. So I just go Dr. Shaheen because it sounds like machine. Machine? Okay. <laughs> Or do you... She's the Shaheen machine. Do your friends call you Dr. Shaheen or do they, or are they just oh, like Laura? No. Friends just say Laura. Your yeah, husband Laura. calls you <laughs> Totally. He only calls hey, her Dr. Dr. Shaheen in the bedroom. <laughs> Where's that lab coat, honey? Put that on again. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, that went okay, too far. It's all good. That went too far. All right. Yeah, that went too far. Penis is down the back. No big deal. Right. <laughs> I got it. I can handle it. Listen, I said it at the beginning, but thank you so much for coming and talking to us. I'm just, I'm going to have the best day today. Yeah, I'm just me like too. on Aww. a high. This has been thank you. so fun. Um, well, yeah. I very much appreciate it. And thank you so much for what you guys are doing because you're really putting good content out there and you're helping people that might not know what questions to ask and really supporting people in a fun and interesting way so thank you oh well thanks wow. for saying that so nice yeah, you heard it you heard it from dr shaheen first so if you don't like it like us take it up with her no <laughs> <laughs> thanks so much we'll be in touch bye bye I can't believe that we had an Ari on the podcast. I know we've said that a couple times, but... I can't either. It makes me feel like we're real podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>
I don't know why I think that's so funny. <laughs> Maybe just because I know we're not. I mean, not to disparage <laughs> us, but like we're just two normal people <laughs> like that happen to yeah. be really passionate about it, the topic of infertility. And so, yeah, it's really, it feels validating that she took two hours on a Saturday morning to come and talk to little old Sarah and Kayla. Um, yeah. It feels really good. That's what it is. Yeah, it feels good. Yeah. And she was a great choice. So thanks for that. So uh, everyone else, join our closed Facebook groups. One is the Infertile Mafia, and the other one is uh, the Infertile Mafia Bosses and Babies. Follow us on Instagram, at Infertile Mafia Podcast. Feel free to send us an email to infertilemafia at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to hear more talk about eggs and balls and stuff. And one last time, big thanks to Dr. Shaheen. Please come back. We want to have you. We want want to have you back. Assuming you're actually yeah, you're listening to this, which you may not be, because you're really busy. But if you are, please come back. <laughs> and for everyone else, thanks for joining. Thanks for joining the Infertile Mafia. Mafia. Bye.